Welcome to the PRI Review, brought to you by the Population Research Institute. I'm your host, Christopher Manning. It's been 10 years since the Great Recession ended. Yet, despite robust economic growth and low employment over the past two years, births in the United States have continued to plummet. Before the Great Recession, the fertility rate, the number of children women have on average during their lifetimes, has been on the rise. But once the recession hit and unemployment rose to 10%, many couples put off having children and birth rates declined. Demographers and economists had long anticipated the birth rate would rebound when the economy recovered. After all, birth rates in the U.S. have historically fallen during economic downturns and risen during times of economic recovery. But despite a 50-year low in the unemployment rate, rising earnings and wages, and a robust 2 to 3% growth in GDP, Almost every quarter since the start of 2017, birth rates are still falling. Earlier this year, the National Center for Health Statistics reported that the birth rate in 2018 had fallen to 59 births per 1,000 women, 15 to 44 years of age, the lowest birth rate ever recorded in U.S. history. But before 2018, the 2017 birth rate had been the lowest birth rate ever recorded. And the year before that, the 2016 birth rate had been the lowest. In fact, of the 10 lowest birth rates on record, nine of them have occurred in the past nine years. America's total fertility rate is also at an all-time low, with women, on average, giving birth to 1.73 children over their lifetimes. This is far below the replacement fertility rate, which is about 2.1, and is the minimum fertility rate needed for the current generation to replace itself without having to be propped up by immigration. Despite low birth rates, however, preferences for childbearing in the U.S. have not declined. According to Gallup, Americans on average think 2.7 children is the ideal number of children to have. This is virtually unchanged from the number of children Americans considered ideal back in the 1970s. In fact, Americans' ideal family size today is larger than it was before the recession started in 2007. And in 2007, the fertility rate had peaked to the highest level on record since 1971. So, if childbearing preferences are not declining, why have birth rates continued to decline in spite of robust economic growth and low unemployment rates? As it turns out, there is no single driving reason why birth rates have fallen. The decline in the birth rate is the result of a variety of factors, including economic factors, postponement of marriage, demographic changes in the marriage market, and changing ideas on marriage, all of which happen to be converging right about now. Today we'll discuss the economic reasons behind the falling birth rate. Next week we'll talk about the cultural and demographic reasons behind this trend. Lost Millennial Wealth Perhaps the most potent reason driving the falling birth rate is that many adults, particularly young adults in their prime marrying age years, 
are finding it too difficult to afford having children or are finding it difficult to get their finances in order so that they can have a family. Nowhere has this effect had more impact than on millennials who now make up the bulk of women in their childbearing years. And a millennial is described as someone who has a memory of 9-11 as a child and older. Financial concerns have weighed particularly heavily on millennials. They were the generation hardest hit by the Great Recession. According to the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, millennials born in the 1980s accumulated 34% less wealth than they would have had had the recession not occurred. By comparison, adults born in the 1970s lost 17% of their wealth, and those born during the 1960s lost only 11%. Many millennials faced high employment and underemployment early in their careers. They weren't able to accumulate as much income or savings as prior generations when they were entering the workforce. For some young adults, this has made it more difficult for them to achieve enough financial stability to start a family. As adults aged 20 to 34 years of age made up the bulk of childbearing in the U.S., Lower birth rates among the millennial generation has directly translated into falling birth rates overall. For one, wages and earnings for young adults in their prime marrying years are less than they were a generation ago. Inflation-adjusted median weekly earnings for adults, 25 to 34 years old today, are lower than what they were in 1979 and during the early 2000s. Meanwhile, wages for the workforce overall has increased, an indication that while older adults are still seeing their real wages rise, adults in their prime marrying years are being left behind. Today's young adults are not only making less than they used to, they are also making less compared to the workforce overall. During the early 1980s, on average, adults aged 25 to 34 years made more than the overall workforce. They made close to what most adults over the age of 25 made. But during the late 1980s, median earnings for adults 25 to 34 years of age dropped below the workforce average. And since 2002, the wage gap has been steadily widening. Today, median usual weekly earnings for adults 25 to 34 years of age are almost 9% lower than the workforce average. Due to high unemployment and slow wealth accumulation early on in their careers, millennials are at a risk for becoming a lost generation in terms of wealth, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. This has likely forced millennials to put off milestones like getting marriage, buying a house, and having children. The loss of wealth accumulation has affected low-income, lower socioeconomic, and minority young adults in particular. The little savings men and women in these demographic groups were able to accumulate were often spent on supporting aging parents or paying for basic living expenses rather than on things like education, transportation, and job training, which could have helped to advance their careers. Additionally, when it comes to adults getting a college education, the young adults and their parents have faced skyrocketing tuition costs. 
According to tuition statistics tracked by the College Board, the inflation-adjusted costs of tuition at four-year private colleges has risen by 134 percent since the 1986-87 academic year. At public colleges, the rise in tuition has been even steeper, increasing by 215 percent since the 1986-1987 academic year. Meanwhile, wages have not kept pace. Since 1986, real median household income has only increased by 15.7 percent, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. The steep and rising cost of college education has forced young adults to take on unprecedented amounts of student debt. The amount of outstanding student debt nationwide is now $1.48 trillion, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Student debt is now greater than the amount of debt Americans owe through either credit card debt or auto loan debt. And since 2011, student debt has been rising at a faster rate than either credit card debt or auto loan debt. So it's likely that rapidly rising student debt is one of the reasons why birth rates have been declining in the U.S. According to a study from Ohio State University, every $1,000 in student debt, a college graduate is historically linked to a 1.2% drop in the birth rate. Due to mounting student debt and slow wealth accumulation, young adults have put off owning a home more than previous generations. In 2005, 43.3% of adults under the age of 35 owned their own home. Ten years later, only 34.6% of young adults did. Birth rates for women in their late 20s have plummeted since the recession. Before the recession, they'd been rising. A slight rise in birth rates among women in their early 30s, 30 to 34 years, has not made up for the difference either. And while birth rates among women in their early 30s had been on the rise since 2011, in 2017 the birth rate for this age group also fell for the first time since the end of the recession. Rising costs in child care have also played a role. But there are many other reasons for the declining birth rate in the U.S., and it would be incorrect to fully attribute falling fertility to lost millennial wealth due to the Great Recession. A recent New York Times morning consult survey found that the number of one reason men and women today cite for having fewer children than their ideal number is that child care is too expensive. Indeed, the cost of child care is quite steep. According to Child Care Aware of America, the cost of daycare for infants averages between $5,000 and $23,000 per year depending on the state of residence. For most low-income parents, these costs can be prohibitive. The New York Times Morning Consult survey found that many adults expected to have fewer children than they wanted. After child care, it reports, concerns related to finances, the economy, and the cost of raising a child were among the foremost reasons. Nearly 40% also cited not having paid leave through their employer or not having enough paid leave as reasons for not having as many children as they wanted. Presumably, if these couples had the financial security to take time off from work to have another child, they would. A full 36% of adults also said 
they struggled with striking a work-life balance, in part perhaps due to the fact that many adults do not feel secure enough in their careers or savings to devote sufficient time to family. Some adults have even chosen to forego childbearing altogether due to financial reasons. Those who say they do not want to have children most often say that they want more leisure time or say they haven't found a suitable partner yet. But 31% say they do not want children because they cannot afford child care. The cost of raising a child has skyrocketed in recent years. Since 2000, the cost of raising a child has risen by 41%. According to the United States Department of Agriculture, the USDA, middle-income married households with two children making up to $107,000 per year spend on average 233610 per child through age 17. And that doesn't even include costs associated with putting a child through college. A middle-income couple today with two children can expect to spend about $12,680 per year on a child until the child turns three. Even for married couples making less than $59,000 per year, the cost of raising a child is not much different. On average, these parents shell out on average $174,690,000 per child in a two-child family. According to the USDA, the biggest expenditure associated with the cost of raising a child is the cost of housing. In recent years, home prices have soared. In the past five years alone, the cost of housing has jumped by 33% nationally, according to the Federal Housing Finance Agency. According to the USDA, the cost of food is the second largest expenditure after the cost of housing for parents raising children. The cost of child care and education is a close third, and the cost of transportation a close fourth. But for parents with children under the age of five, the cost of child care is often a larger expense than either food or transportation. Lack of access to paid leave in the U.S. is also a significant hurdle for many couples. According to a report prepared for the U.S. Department of Labor, 46% of Americans in 2012 who qualified under federal law to take unpaid leave for medical reasons, military deployment, or for the birth of a new child did not take it because they could not afford to do so. Very few Americans have access to paid leave. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, only 17% of Americans as of 2018 had access to paid leave through their employer. And there are other economic reasons. Studies have also hinted at other possible economic reasons for why the birth rate in the U.S. continues to tank. For instance, high unemployment during the Great Recession may have a significantly negative hindering effect on how many children millennials have in the long term. According to a study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, women who live during high unemployment rate while in their early 20s may have significantly fewer births over their lifetimes. The study found that every 1% point increase in the unemployment rate experienced by women in the early 20s correlates with a 14-point drop in the birth rate by age 40. 
but the permanent loss of manufacturing jobs that were wiped out during the recession has perhaps had an even greater impact on the birth rate than high employment. According to one study, the loss of manufacturing jobs since the recession accounts for anywhere from 25 to 50 percent of the drop in the birth rate, depending on race. The study found that the loss of manufacturing jobs during the recession had a stronger effect on the declining birth rate than even the unemployment rate. The loss of manufacturing jobs has driven down the birth rate for all major racial and economic groups, but the effect has fallen particularly hard on Hispanic women. Of course, these important economic factors can't be separated from the powerful cultural and demographic forces driving the decline in the birth rate. You're listening to the PRI Review from the Population Research Institute at pop.org. We'll be right back. This past October, some 10,000 leaders of the pro-abortion movement gathered in Nairobi, Kenya. They pretended that they were celebrating the 25th anniversary of a population control meeting that the United Nations held in Cairo in 1994. But the real reason was their fear that their crusade to wipe out the next generation of Africans was losing steam. And they were mad, very mad. Now, at the 1994 Cairo conference, radical pro-abortion forces, which included the Clinton administration, by the way, were arrayed against a coalition of pro-lifers from the third world countries. A delegation representing the Holy See came on strong in favor of life and family, inspired by the vigorous support of Pope St. John Paul II. As a result, In 1994, the pro-abortion goals of that conference in Cairo were actually thwarted. Well, this time around, the population controllers stacked the deck. Their final statement in Nairobi was written before the meeting even began, and the program's goals were stark. Foremost among them, universal access to sexual and reproductive health and rights. Imagine 10,000 pro-abortion leaders gathered in Africa planning on how to eliminate more Africans. And these people are rabid advocates not only of abortion but of putting families and children under the control of a secular, all-powerful state run by the internationalists at the United Nations. Well, there was opposition, and that's where we come in. In Nairobi, Kenyan Bishop Alfred Rotich strongly criticized the pro-abortion meeting. Catholic leaders in Africa have joined other Christian leaders to raise concerns about the event's agenda, he said. It is destructive to humanity and the values around human life. And he didn't mince words. There will be about 10,000 people here, he said, and we know what they are for. They are not pro-life. They are 10,000 abortionists. End quote. Yes, the meeting was an outrage and an insult to the third world families everywhere, and the Population Research Institute decided to do something about it. So PRI sent a team to Nairobi 
to help lead a pro-life, pro-family alternative conference. It was held on the grounds of the Basilica of the Archdiocese, and it featured three days of presentations, discussions, and seminars. Hundreds of doctors, pro-lifers, and government officials from dozens of countries attended. PRI's own Joel Bachrath addressed a session of the alternate conference on the issue of contraception in the light of Humanae Vitae, the encyclical of St. John Paul VI. His PRI colleague, Jonathan Abamante, led a session on the myth of overpopulation. Both presentations were inspired by the faith and determination of the pro-lifers who attended from all over Africa. And here's an important news note. During the conference, Mr. Bachrath delivered a brand new ultrasound machine, a gift from the Population Research Institute, to a Nairobi Crisis Pregnancy Center. Volunteer doctors and counselors volunteering in this vital effort serve women of all faiths and races. After all, Nairobi has a cosmopolitan population of more than 4 million. Now this is just the latest chapter in PRI's efforts to help families everywhere. We have now donated ultrasound equipment and training to pregnancy centers in three African countries. But remember, we are up against a opulently funded movement that includes government agencies from several childless European countries, as well as major foundations and corporations. They are peddling contraception, abortifacients, and abortion all over Africa. These ideological colonizers are devoted indeed, not only to controlling existing populations, but to exterminating future generations throughout the third world. The Population Research Institute is working hard to save babies all over the world. Meanwhile, population planners, many of whom have no children of their own, don't want anyone else to have any either, especially if in the spirit of Planned Parenthood and Margaret Sanger, those children are black or brown. They must be prevented or exterminated. Now take heart. The people of Africa are fighting back, and pregnancy centers in several African countries desperately need these ultrasound machines and training so they can help women through pregnancy and beyond. They're asking PRI for help. Will you help us help them? Just go to our website at pop.org. Once you're there, you can make a generous donation to help us. Get these women the help they so desperately need. Imagine the smile of joy of a mother in Africa who sees her unborn baby for the very first time, alive and kicking, on a screen that you helped bring to her bedside. Please go to pop.org and say you'll help. You'll be glad you did. Brandon Showalter reports in the Christian Post. A group of over 11,000 scientists are calling for population control measures to avoid severe human suffering from global climate change, a notion a demographer says is heavily tied to money and not actual science. The Alliance of Scientists signed a paper declaring a climate emergency is at hand, and that in order to limit the damage to the environment caused by 
greenhouse gas emissions, there must be, and I quote, more control over the massively booming global population currently increasing by over 200,000 people a day. End quote. At the head of this international cohort of scientists is Oregon State Professor of Ecology William J. Ripple and researcher Christopher Wolfe. The paper, which includes signatories from 153 nations, was published in the journal Bioscience and calls for the replacement of fossil fuels with low-carbon renewables, a shift in the world's diet to plant-based foods, and the stabilization of the global human population, among other things. The paper portrays as a positive development the decline in the recent decades of the global birth rate. We are encouraged by a recent surge of concern. I'm quoting now. Governmental bodies are making climate emergency declarations. School children are striking. Echoside lawsuits are proceeding in the courts. Grassroots citizen movements are demanding change, and many countries, states and provinces, cities and businesses are responding. End quote. They continue, as an alliance of world scientists, we stand ready to assist decision makers in a just transition to a sustainable and equitable future. Stephen Moser, president of the Population Research Institute, told the Christian Post that it's their ideas that prove destructive. In fact, he said, their proposals to reduce the number of people born, to reduce the amount of fossil fuel used, to reduce the amount of food produced, to reduce the amount of land given over to the production of food, all of these things will cause untold human suffering, Moser stressed. Moser is well-versed in China's long history with population control, including their one-child policy that entailed state-mandated forced abortions and sterilization. The Communist Party has eliminated 400 million people from 1980 to 2016, Moser says. 400 million of the most enterprising and hard-working people on the planet have been eliminated through forced abortions and infanticide after birth. Obviously, what caused a lot of human suffering to those who were killed and the mothers and the parents who were left behind. So any proposal for population control is going to cause governments to intervene even more than they have in the private reproductive decisions of couples who have a natural right to decide for themselves the number and spacing of their children. End quote. When asked why scientists and others who push depopulation by making predictions of catastrophic events that fail to materialize, such as those set forth in Paul Ehrlich's 1968 book, The Population Bomb, why are they never held to account? Moser said it comes down to the role of grant dollars in scientific research. They keep getting funding to propagate these scary stories, he said, adding, in part, this is money-driven research. The Population Research Institute president, who has an advanced degree in oceanography, elaborated that if he were to conduct a study and ended up concluding that the mild increase in the Earth's temperature did not portend a global crisis, his grant would not be renewed. But if another researcher came to the different conclusion, particularly that a disaster is imminent, he would receive additional funds. With more money, he will purportedly be able to research more and solve the problem, Moser explained. 
He continued, it's sad to say because we think of science as being objective and unbiased, of seeking the truth without fear or favor. A lot of scientists seek grants and they are really less concerned about the truth of the matter than they are about continuing to get their grant renewed. So there is a lot of human ego involved in these projects. And billions of dollars have been poured into these ideas, he said. And these movements don't go quietly to their graves. They continue in existence regardless of what the facts say. Moser says he is not sure how much global warming will occur in the next century or how much of it is attributable to human activity. These people seem to deal with certainty as to what's going to happen, he says, what the climate is going to be like a hundred years from now. But we can't even predict the weather more than a week or two out. And I think they're claiming far too much for science and they're demanding far too much sacrifice from humanity our living standards, and our whole well-being in return for an undefined and undefinable war against climate change, Moser said. The cost-benefit analysis just isn't there. Population control policies cause death, as do their like-minded economic measures, which will disproportionately impact poorer people and will lead to more deaths, he added. The advocates are not only pushing for this directly, by promoting abortion in government entities, telling people how many children they should have or not have, and then sterilizing them when they have reached their quota, but also by deliberately increasing the cost of food and energy. That's going to have a population control effect, too. That's going to raise the mortality rate among infants and children and people in poorer countries and among the poorer segments of the population, even in wealthier countries, he concluded. When we put the cards face up on the table, it's clear. Population control policies supposedly combating climate change prove deadly. This is the PRI Review from the Population Research Institute at pop.org. We'll be right back. As we celebrate the coming of the Christ child during this Christmas season, we turn in appreciation to our Father in heaven for the many gifts that he has bestowed upon us and our nation. Chief among these gifts after life itself is the family, the true family, consisting of a father and a mother and their natural or adopted children. And this month, families everywhere are celebrating their reunion at Christmas around the Christmas creche welcoming baby Jesus with open arms and loving hearts. Strong, loving families provide loving homes for the children that God chooses to send into the world. They are our best bulwark against abortion, since they not only accept the children that they conceive, they often generously accept those who would otherwise be aborted or abandoned into their own homes. We at PRI are Grateful as well that the prayers and support of you and other members of the PRI family allow us to do what St. John Paul II once told us was the most important work on earth. For over three decades, we have made the case that babies are blessings and not burdens. Yes, there's plenty of room and an abundance of resources on God's green earth to sustain all of us. 
Your support and prayers have girded us for the battle as we fought, for the right of life for unborn children on every continent, for the right of every man, woman, and child to be able to live free from coercive abortion and sterilization, and for the right of every people to be free from the population control programs that destroy lives and families. As you thank God for the blessings of family and the loved ones whom he has placed in your own life, won't you set aside a little for a gift that will truly make a difference in the lives of women and their unborn children? You can make your gift by going to our website, pop.org, www.pop.org. Then share the good news of your gift on Facebook or Twitter with your friends and relatives. On behalf of the countless families throughout the world who have been helped through your support, we thank you. And very Merry Christmas and a blessed Christmas time. High-level employees working for an affiliate of the international abortion giant Marie Stopes International in Uganda have had their licenses suspended by the Ugandan government. Marie Stopes International is an NGO that provides abortion and contraception services and operates in 37 countries. According to its latest annual report, the organization provided over 4.8 million abortion and post-abortion services worldwide in 2018 alone. It has a long history of skirting the laws of the countries in which it operates. In this particular case, the Ugandan Ministry of Health alleges that the Stopes employees approved the distribution of untested condom shipments without the required authorization from the government. In particular, the ministry alleges that the employees gave false information to ministry staff indicating that the government had approved the distribution of the condom stocks. The ministry asserts that it issued no such authorization. Now, the Ugandan government's drug regulatory agency also found that the unauthorized distribution included defective batches. In fact, Uganda's National Drug Authority, NDA, had found that Marie Stopes, Uganda, had consistently distributed condoms riddled with perforations. On November 20th, after receiving complaints from contraceptive users, the NDA ordered Marie Stopes, Uganda, to issue a recall in more than one million LifeGuard brand condoms. As of November 28th, the health ministry reported that nearly 20% of the condoms from the defective stocks were still in circulation. As a result of its findings, Uganda Ministry of Health has officially sanctioned two employees working for Marie Stopes, Uganda. These include a director and the top pharmacist responsible for authorizing the distribution of condom shipments in the country. Under Ugandan health regulations, condom shipments are not permitted to be released into the market until they have undergone quality assurance testing by the NDA. Condom importers in Uganda are required to embargo commodities for release 
until they receive the green lights from the NDA. The NDA's Condom Testing Laboratory is a Level 4 testing facility. Certified by the World Health Organization, the WHO, in partnership with the ANSI National Accreditation Board. The board, based in the United States, is an accreditation body that serves as the official U.S. representative to the International Organization for Standards, the ISO. The Ugandan ministry's preliminary investigation alleged that Kohora Ojambo-Jeffrey, a high-ranking pharmacist at the Marie Stopes, Uganda, has lied. He allegedly circulated a memo to Marie Stopes Management, certifying that the defective condom batches had indeed received approval from the NDA. Ugandan lawmakers received testimony on the case from former Uganda State Minister for Health, Sarah Opendi. She testified that the ministry had, and I quote, suspended the two officials having found that the pharmacist gave them false information. NDA had not yet written to Marie Stopes to clear those specific batches of condoms. And in the meantime, the NDA had told them to keep them until verification is done, Ms. Opendi testified. In spite of this warning, the pharmacist involved in the process wrote that NDA had cleared the condoms, according to Opendi's testimony. The health ministry has indicated that it will continue its investigation into the case. The condom scandal is not just an indication, but a clear evidence that Marie Stopes is unqualified to provide family planning services in Uganda, says Pius Okiror, legal and policy analyst for Human Life Uganda. This organization has often championed the provision of services that undermine Uganda's laws and policies, including constitutional provisions, Okiror told PRI. The Ministry of Internal Affairs that is charged with regulating the conduct of civil society organizations, both local and foreign, should recall Marie Stopes' license and ban the activity of Marie Stopes in the country entirely, Okiror told us. The condom scandal in Uganda is just the latest in a long string of controversies involving Marie Stopes International, being sanctioned or investigated by foreign governments. Last November, one of Marie Stopes International's affiliates in Kenya was temporarily banned from performing abortions there. The decision came from the Kenyan Medical Practitioners and Dentists Board, MPDB. Kenyan law makes the board responsible for licensing doctors and medical practitioners. The Kenya Film Classification Board is the corporation authorized under Kenyan law to regulate TV, radio, and film content. In 2018, the board banned Marie Stopes from airing advertisements that were deemed to be promoting abortion in opposition to Kenya's constitution. The Center for Reproductive Rights, a New York-based law group that agitates for abortion worldwide, then filed a lawsuit objecting to the suspension. After conducting an investigation of Marie Stopes, the Kenyan Ministry of Health then lifted the ban. The government of Niger also took action against Marie Stopes International last year, ordering the group to close its facilities in the country. An investigation by the health ministry had found that the organization was 
quote, enabling the voluntary interruption of pregnancy, close quote, in conflict with a 2006 law which prohibits abortion in all cases, except those endangering the health of the mother and in cases of fetal disability. In 2016, the Care Quality Commission, CQC, in the United Kingdom, temporarily suspended Marie Stopes from performing surgical abortions and abortions on vulnerable women and girls under 18. CQC audits had revealed that Marie Stopes' clinic staffs lacked the competence to administer conscious sedation and general anesthesia. Moreover, the audits revealed that Marie Stopes' clinics might not have been providing women adequate opportunity for informed consent. The CQC took these actions as an independent public body with the mandate to audit health facilities. The CQC works with the UK Department of Health and Social Care in that role. Now, the problems with Marie Stopes have been going on for years. As long ago as 2012, the government of Zambia banned Marie Stopes International from performing abortions in the country. The Zambian Health Ministry had determined that the organization had allegedly carried out 490 illegal abortions over a five-month period. Apparently, even after years of such scandals, Marie Stopes hasn't yet cleaned up its act. This has been your latest weekly briefing from the Population Research Institute at pop.org. Thanks for listening. Music